Hey, and welcome to the Tour Bus Podcast. I'm your host, Jay, and today we have uh, just an incredible bass player, Joseph Patrick Moore. Um, he currently lives out in Nevada, uh, out in Vegas, and plays for, or near Vegas, and plays for the residency Cirque du Soleil show out there, uh, which if you've never been to Cirque du Soleil, look them up. Check out some of their, all the music's done live. It's like this wicked circus, uh, but all of the music is performed live and it is no walk in the park. Before that, man, Joseph just has so much experience and wisdom to share. We could do uh, probably 15 interviews and I hope we get to. But this, uh, the next couple episodes are interviews with Joseph Patrick Moore. They're just packed full of wisdom. Grab a seat, listen, hope you enjoy. That was a product of music education. But when I got the gig on Bill Street and I was playing seven nights a week for three years, that was a whole other school. And I'd, I'd walk over to him on stage going, dude, what is this? I don't know. And he goes, just follow my left hand. Just follow my left hand. What's your wife thinking through this? <laughs> always feel like you're only as good as the last note you played. You're only as good as the last song you played. You're only as good as the last gig you did. Uh, you know, the room wasn't right, the food's not right, man, the sound check sucks, my, my monitors suck. I mean, dude, that sinks a ship really quick. There's a lot of people out there in the music business who don't have the greatest talent, who are wildly successful. Joseph Patrick Moore, man, thanks for being here. Um, I, I can't think of, uh, I, I can think of a few people that I would want on the show uh, more than, than you, and there's really, really not many. So uh, uh, glad you're here. Oh man, um, my honor, dude. We'll get to how you got to Nevada in a little bit, but just how is Nevada right now? It's uh, seventy-five degrees, gorgeous blue skies, people riding bikes, jogging. Yeah, the world is all fine and dandy until you leave your little neck of the woods and venture out, and you're like, "Wait a minute, something's not quite right." Right, right. <laughs> you know, in the middle of COVID nineteen, uh, so it's it's kind of a mind warp right now. But it, the the weather's amazing, but it's just kind of a weird head trip. We played together at Southside uh, Church um, in the South Side of Atlanta. Uh, Noonan, Georgia. Noonan, Georgia. Yeah, and, yeah. and Peachtree City probably before that. And right. uh, man, I just, and, and these guys are going to be on the podcast. I'm trying to nail them down. But I remember some of my favorite Sundays playing there were you on bass, um, uh, Justin Scott on drums. And, love Justin. And Jacob Evergreen. I love uh, Jacob. On guitar, man. And just, man, obviously I was lowest on the totem pole as far as skill went. No, 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 no. Oh, no, absolutely. No. I, you don't even have to fake it. <laughs> um, and God, I just, and, and that's what helped me grow uh, immensely was watching folks like you guys play and, um, you know, spectacular, spectacular musicians. So always well, a that's fun very band. Kind of so you, I, miss, I miss those days a lot. I do too, man. Those were some great, great weekends for sure. Great Sundays, man. We we yeah. had a we had a blast for sure. We had too much fun actually to be <laughs> man, in a church. That is that is, uh, that is not. I was supposed to have that much fun in church. I didn't think. <laughs> hey, man, uh, it, it is what you make of it. That's right. <laughs> and Everything we, and is. we made it fun. Yes, we did. Um, but man, uh, before that, you know, you were. Uh, we were both of age uh, when we met so that, you know, obviously you had a career and um, a life um, before we met playing at Southside. Um, so man, just for, for time's sake, catch us up to, I'd, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your musical education. Cause you're just um, man, just, and, and, and it's not even just from knowing 
how you play, you have some resources online where you're teaching theory and things like that. So you've got the knowledge and the skill. So I'd love to learn more about where you got that. Was it music school? Was it jam bands? What was it? And then catch us up real quick to kind of how you got to Atlanta. And then we'll get to maybe how you got involved playing in churches. Sure, man. Uh, so there's a lot, a lot to pack in there, but sure, I'll do as yeah. briefly as I can. Um, uh, it's fine. It's for people that don't know me, don't know anything about. So I grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee. I was a product of education in the schools. I played alto saxophone. I played drums in the marching band. And then towards the end of high school, I switched to bass guitar, sold my saxophone, started playing bass. Uh, took some lessons, and the guy I was taking lessons from was also the teacher at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. Uh, I ended up getting a full scholarship, uh, and I was in school as a jazz and classical major for three years. Shortly after that, I decided I was sick of my hometown. The school was amazing. I was, it was amazing, actually, and I was playing in local bands and high school bands. There's a lot there that I was doing, too, but I thought, well, I'm going to move. So I moved to Memphis because I had a friend there, and he's like, man, you got to come to Memphis. There's all kinds of gigs and blah, blah, blah. So I transferred to school and went to the University of Memphis had another music scholarship. I was a performance major, but I was also involved there in Memphis. They have a recording studio and they have music business classes. And I got involved in that. I was deep in the studio stuff and that kind of opened my, uh, my mind to the possibilities of that. I started playing on Bill Street seven nights a week with the great Charlie. Well, for three years, I played with Charlie Wood seven nights a week on Bill Street. And he's an amazing B3 singer. You can look him up, Charlie Wood. He lives in London right now. Um, and then about seven years into that, I met my wife and we decided, you know what? Memphis is great, but I think we we're going to mosey on down the road. So we went to Atlanta in 96, right when the Olympics had just finished. Man, that was a quick recap. Uh, that was <laughs> well, good. There's, there's a lot that stories packed in all those sure, years, but sure, you, know, no. you get the overview. Yeah. Yeah. No, without yeah. boring everybody. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, season one, season one is about kind of my connection with you guys and where I've gotten to see you guys go. So we're going to keep it within those bookends for now and have, okay. you, and have you back on another episode and dig into a lot of that. We're oh, gonna, cool. You know, we're already, I'm already putting together some series on just, you know where to get music education you know different universities okay. you know because um a couple of the guys went to atlanta institute of music uh jesse mm-hmm. bond went to berkeley mm-hmm. um you know so lots of different perspectives so <clears throat> uh plenty more to dig into there but man so just by the time you got to atlanta in 96 um you had experience you know i heard things like Obviously, uh, education, so formal schooling, jazz, um, performance, uh, marching band, um, recording, music, business. Um, By the time you got to Atlanta in 96, man, you had already done just a ton of stuff musically, right? So you just were a jack of all trades. Uh, It feels like at that point, but was there something that... Was it bass that was sticking out at that point? Was it recording that was sticking out at that point when you came to well, that's Atlanta a great, in 96? Yeah, that's a great question. So, of course, as I said, I was a product of music education, but uh, and I went through that whole deal, you know. Um, but when I got the gig on Bill Street and I was playing seven nights a week for three years with Charlie, that was a whole other school. 
And that wasn't the academia world. That was down, you know, doing the club thing and learning stacks and learning um, Mustang Sally and Ain't Too Proud to Beg and learning bass lines from Duck Dunn and right. Motown and, and digging into like the, the roots of a bass playing and then how to play with a trio, an organ trio at that. Um, know, what's, an organ, then, what's an organ trio? Well, B3 organ, drums, and oh, okay. bass, upright. I occasionally played upright, but mostly, I mean, I do play upright, but on that gig, I occasionally played, but I played mostly electric bass. So, um, so no guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, no. Dirty loops. No. <laughs> dirty loops no dirty style. Loops. <laughs> no, but but quickly, I did end up losing my gig. Charlie came to me one night. He said, man, this has been amazing, but you know what? I'm going to have to let you go. And I'm like, no way. What happened? He's like, no, it's nothing about you because I want to learn to play bass with my feet. Because, you know, most B3 players kick pedals with their right. feet as they're playing. So that then I lost my gig. And, <laughs> and then, he, then he did get a guitar player. To his feet. <laughs> to take my place. You lost, you lost the gig to his feet. I did. There you go. That's interesting. Yeah, but you know, it was during that time though. I was meeting people. Uh, you know, I, uh, how do I say this politely? Char- Charlie's a phenom, man. The guy's seriously amazing musician, and he kind of had the reputation in Atlanta. So uh, a lot of the the cats in town would show up at the gig at night after they got off their gig, and so I kind of got to knew everybody in town um, that were really great players and built a lot of relationships had a lot of exposure with the different folks in that arena. And so that led to studio sessions and working side gigs. And anyway, long story short, I ended up recording my first CD uh, in 95 or 96. And it, a lot of that was a result of a lot of the relationships I met, you know, through Charlie, through Bill Street, through other uh, relationships of people that I met there, you know. So I guess to answer your question, when I got to Atlanta <laughs> on the education thing, it, I was kind of coming from two different places. I was coming from the academia education thing, but I was also coming from a street education too, which was like a whole different universe. Uh, and they are different, and I'm not going to say which is better. They both have their pluses and minuses. Um, but I learned a great deal and matured a lot as a player, you know, because the truth be told, man— um, I mean, school, music school on any kind of level is a beautiful thing, but until you're out in the trenches and having to play in front of people, and there was a lot of times, you know, Charlie would say, hey, man, he would just start playing a song, and I'd, I'd walk over to him on stage going, dude, what is this? I don't know. And he goes, just follow my left hand. Just follow my left hand. <laughs> so I'm having to like earball stuff, you know, and I read music, you know, but there was none of that. It's all like ear training on the spot, playing yeah. songs you've never heard in your life, people sitting in, playing songs you've never heard. Even singers sitting in playing songs you do know in totally radically different keys. Sure, yeah. So there's all that going on. So it, there's a whole different like undercurrent of education that you can't get in a school environment. You have to be in the trenches out there playing. And there's no starting and stopping in front of a live audience. You know, you just go, you just go and hang on. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Or check your cable, or uh, yeah, <laughs> look well, at your a couple of times. It's like fiddle what's with, wrong your... with the sound back here, man. It's like, wait a minute, I, I'm not getting the sound. <laughs> Fiddling with your knobs, like oh yeah, there was a couple happened. of nights of those. Sure, you lost the gig. Um, where'd you go from there? Well, I continued to stay in Memphis, and that's when I put out my CD, and okay. I just uh, had that desire to just. I, I like being creative. Um, I have since put out a lot of CDs and worked on a lot of projects. I'm very grateful for that. Yep. But I just have this internal creative thing in me that just has to create. 
Um, and when we get into the whole church thing, you know, it's like that's almost the antithesis yep. of the creation part because you're almost recreating. And it's the same if you're in a cover band environment. There's a lot to be gained from that, but you are almost recreating a thing, which is great. And that's challenging in its own regard. Yep. So it's like you're wearing that hat, but then I had this creative bug to just, I want to create original art, you know? Yeah. And Which weird, in, ba- in, weird bass music. Dude, and, and uh, you know, plug for Joseph Patrick Moore, for, for anybody that's um, into solo bass music, um, Joseph Patrick Moore calls it weird. It's it's art, man. It's <laughs> it, it, it's 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 its thing. Uh, some of it's great. Uh, Joseph Patrick Moore is actually part of uh, Rocktronics, which will come up. Uh, you play the bass line on our intro song um, that plays under me when I'm doing my intro. That's um, right, and that song yeah. is called Sam Hain, which is from uh, a, a word used in the. Um, movie Halloween, <laughs> Sam <laughs> Hain. That's where it was kind of a dark, heavy metal kind of vibe, you know. Yes. But, uh, and, but that's where and, the Rocktronics, yeah, yeah. And another plug: if you you everybody should hear the rest of that song um, because it just keeps going and gets more killer, more dark and rock and roll. Um, Chris Blackwell plays just sick guitar on it, but you're playing bass on it. the The intro riff is awesome. I was like, that's the one. Um, Wayne, Wayne Vire on drums, who yep. I met through the church world, and Chris, actually, I met at North Point, and, and yeah, Chris is killing on that tune, man. He actually, yep. well, there's a couple stories in that song, but nonetheless, yeah, he <laughs> sounds amazing, and um, that was a fun project that we did back in 2014. Yeah, so if you're into solo bass music, um, artsy stuff, creative stuff, man, uh, Joseph Patrick Moore just has a, uh, just a full catalog of, man, just... Everything. It's not even just music. I don't think. Um, and, you <laughs> that's, know? What I, that's what I say. It's not music. I don't know what it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the boundary. You, you blur weird. the boundaries of music and art. I would say in your catalog with all your stuff. But anyways, so you got into recording, and that was before you moved. That you were still in Memphis at that time. You got down to Atlanta around the time of the Olympics. Um, what was the draw to Atlanta, and what were you? looking to what were, what was your expectation coming to Atlanta and, and, and how did that play out in the early days? Okay. Yeah. So there's a, a really great drummer. His name is Philip Smith, Phil Smith. And he actually has a podcast that any drummers listening might want to check out. It's called the weekly uh, groove cast drummers, weekly groove cast. He's up to 140 episodes. He's had a lot of uh, Steve Smith. He's had, uh, I don't know. He's had a lot of really great players on his podcast. But so we, we went to school in UT in Knoxville, and he was one of the reasons actually I moved to Memphis. And lo and behold, he was one of the reasons I moved to Atlanta because he had left Memphis and moved to Atlanta. And he <laughs> called me and we were, we, we, you know, we were good friends then. We're still good friends now. But he said, hey, man, there's a lot of work down here. There's a lot of gigs. I know things are kind of drying up for you in Memphis. You know, you might want to consider this. So he was partly responsible of like, and my sister lived in Atlanta too. My family, uh, my mom and dad were alive at that time in Knoxville. That was only four hours away. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to stay here in the South. I'm going to go to Atlanta. Seems like a perfect fit. And that's just kind of what happened, you know? Okay. And so what were, did you have gigs lined up? Did you? Oh yeah. No gigs. Okay. You know, it's a weird thing in my life, man. I don't know how it works. I guess I'm just kind of used to, 
I guess the thing about being in this business, whether you're a player, a writer, uh, whatever hat you wear in the music business generally, you have to have a really thick skin. It isn't for everybody because there's a lot of times you're looking at your calendar going, okay, I'm cool for the next two weeks. But beyond that, I have no work. I have no idea how this is going to roll. And you, and a lot of people can't cope with that. And for some reason, my whole life's just kind of rolled down the, that track like that. So when we moved to Atlanta, I literally had no work. I had saved up some money, so I knew I had a cushion. And I knew Phil in Atlanta was in my corner. He would help introduce me to people. Again, relationships. Uh, he entered, quickly introduced me to some people, some key people in Atlanta. Um, and so I got, I got work after the fact that I wasn't moving there for anything particularly. So... So a leap of faith. Total um, leap of faith. You know, um, and what's your, what's your wife thinking through this? Just real quick aside, you know, is she on, you know, what's her personality like? Is she on board with that? Or is this something you have to kind of tread lightly <laughs> She was very <laughs> we supportive. Skip the whole, no, we no, no. skip the whole. going to get in trouble out. here. No, she's a hundred percent supportive. She's always been on my corner. Great. Um, you know, which is, which is huge. It took a while, I think in the early stages to kind of realize she was falling in love with a weird musician, you know, but I think once she got past <laughs> that, she started learning that the way I rolled with my life, you know, and, yep. and she had, I guess, just kind of saw that, you know, somehow it just all works out. So, um, she, she was very supportive, thankfully. Awesome, man. That's good. That's good. Hey man, you said enough. We'll move on. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So you got, so, so, okay. So we met while you were in Atlanta, obviously. How did, um, how did you get involved playing in churches around Atlanta and then, um, you know, get to Southside where we played together primarily? Yeah. Well, so just quickly, when I was in Atlanta after the Olympics, uh, I met this guy named Colonel Bruce Hampton, and I ended up doing four years with Colonel Bruce Hampton and the Fiji Mariners. And if anyone's listening doesn't know Colonel Bruce, he has this kind of legacy with Aquarium Rescue Unit and other bands. Uh, he's since passed away, but that led, so I did that gig that that resulted in a lot of really cool experiences. That led to the another band I toured with for two years around the country called Blue Ground Undergrass. That that was like a hippie jam band. We were playing jam band festivals, et cetera. Then that led, again, all relationships, all, uh, you know, just meeting people you know, and that sort of thing. That led to a gig with this cat named Michael Tolcher in 2002 and three. And Here, for those that don't know, me- Mike. Yeah, let me. I'll, I'll stop you right there, just because I want to jump in. You said, you know, we are harping on relationships, but if you haven't listened to Joseph Patrick Moore play yet, uh, it's not hard to understand why you would be at the top of folks' list to as the bass player to call. You know, uh, skill skill is like the thing folks don't worry about with with guys like you. I, I just remember that from when we played at church together. It was like you just don't even. You just don't ask questions. Judge Patrick Moore is going to come in. He's going to do his thing, and it's going to be great. But yeah. relationships is a huge part, but it's not the only part. No, it's not. But, and and uh, you bring up a good point, man, and I will just emphasize, and I do appreciate you saying that, but I learned, to me, I always feel like you're only as good as the last note you played. You're only as good as the last song you played. You're only as good as the last gig mm. you did. 
And if you show up, doesn't matter if you have great relationships, if you show up unprepared or you didn't like, oh, I didn't have time to check that out, man. You know, you, you're, you're, all you have at the end of the day, all any of us have is our name, is what we bring to the table, but it's our reputation, our name. So I've always taken the approach of, you know what, I'm not going to brag. I'm not going to, you know, be demeaning on myself. I'm just going to show up. I'm going to spend some time and do my homework. I'm going to practice my instrument. I'm going to spend time with the tune. I'm going to do it in a way that makes me feel comfortable. And I'm going to show up to the whatever the gig is, whether it's a gig, a church gig, a festival, whatever that is, studio session. I'm going to be prepared and I'm not going to have to say anything because I'm going to let the music do the talking, you know? And, yep. and of course, the, the, you know, I'm, I'm very humble to say, hey, let's do that again. I'm not happy with that. You know, I'm not saying on a cocky level, I'm just saying in terms of just always showing up prepared and not having to defend yourself except for your instrument, you know? Um, Gosh, but, so much so, good stuff. So, so much there, good stuff in that. But yeah, keep going. Yeah, so so there's that, man, you know, and I feel very strongly about that. Uh, but re, but you have to learn how to be get along with other people. You can't, I mean, I've spent enough time on the road. Uh, I still haven't answered your question yet, but I've spent enough time <laughs> on the good. road, you know, to, I've, I've toured all the United States except for four states, Hawaii, Alaska, North, and South Dakota. I've been all, I've, I've thankfully uh, very honored, uh, anyway, I've been able to tour around the world with different things. And the thing that I know probably, well, in my soul, the worst thing you can do is be on the road. It's hard enough anyway, you know, but to be with someone who's a downer complaining, uh, you know, the room wasn't right. The food's not right, man. The sound check (laughs) sucks. My, my monitors suck. I mean, dude, that sinks a ship really quick. (laughs) Yes. You know, so I learned from a few people that, hey, and you can learn from everybody, by the way. It's not just the greatest musicians. You can learn what to do and what not to do. Yes. And I learned yes. what not to do from several people in my life. And I realized, hey, man, I'm just, I'm going to be Joe Cool. And I'm going to kind of just keep my opinions to myself. Unless someone asks me, I'm going to be truthful and pull the New York card. And I'm going <laughs> to say, you know, I want to speak speak what my, my mind. I'm not going to hold back and be fake. Yeah. But I'm not going to be Debbie Downer. So I think that carries a lot of weight in terms of being able to if, if open up possibilities where people are like, hey, I could I could hang with this guy. You know, I could be, sure. you know, so so when you add that to the fact that you're always prepared or at least you try to be prepared and you show up and you try to do a good job, sound good and prepared. And then carry those relationships. It's really like a triangle, you know? It's like all these little elements are what separates people. Again, I'm not saying put myself as a success, but I'm just saying it, it, it definitely separates people who are successful and unsuccessful. There's a reason why there's a lot of people out there in the music business who don't have the greatest talent, who are wildly successful. And it's partly some of these people because they have these skills that they've developed and people can get along with them man, and they can hang and they do, they show up and do what they're supposed to do. And there's no drama. And, you know, that goes a long way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and what was the what was the question even? Um, <laughs> the question was oh the no, church. How did you, you get playing in church? So, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so there so there was the blue ground, and then that led to Michael Tulcher in two thousand two or three. And so Michael, he's a great songwriter. When I met him, I actually had to audition for his gig, and it was a little nerve nerve wracking, man, because I walked into the room. It was the music union in Atlanta. 
and they had how did, video. How did the how did it lead to the gig? Like, what was the kind of exact scenario? So, how so, how did you get the call for the audition? So I was friends. Uh, he's since passed away. Jan Rico Scott. Uh, we did a lot of work together over the years. He just died last year. Uh, oh man, I didn't know that. I know you all were close. We were very close. And for those that don't know, Jan Rico, uh, he played with the Derek Trucks Band for 16 years, uh, did a Peebo Bryson, Whitney Houston, Stevie Wonder, did a lot of stuff. But I met him through Colonel Bruce Hampton, and we he actually played on one of my albums. We became really good friends. And he knew Michael. I didn't know Michael. And he was actually the uh, consultant, not quasi-music. He wasn't music director. He wasn't in the band, but he was actually looking for players to be in my, to, to audition for Michael. So he called me and said, hey, man, there's this cat you might want to consider auditioning for. So uh, I showed awesome. up. Awesome. And Michael was signed to a record label at the time called J Records, which was a subsidiary of Clive Davis's. Uh, well, it was basically Clive Davis's label. Um, and when I showed up to audition, of course, I knew all this, and his his album had already been done. It was Quest Love on drums, and it was like the record sound. His his debut record was like just about to come out. It sounded amazing. So there was all these intimidating things, you know. And so I walk into the audition room. There's video cameras set everywhere. And so when we did the audition, Michael and I clicked really well, but I knew this video was being sent to the record label guys in New York. And I, I don't know if Clive ever had anything to do with it, but I know the couple of people that were running that label did. Anyway, I got the gig. That led to a lot of really cool experiences. That gig ended in 2004. And there was a guy in the band at that time who you may know, a guy named Ben Snyder. Do you know Ben? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, plays guitar and fiddle. Yes, he did. And I, played, I remember one of the last uh, played, gigs we did. Yeah. I played Devil Went Down to Georgia with Ben um, <laughs> at a summer camp in um, Florida. And funny story about that gig, I got the call the night before. And at the time, this was like one of the biggest camps going on. It was big stuff. They probably, I think they oh, still yeah. went on big, huge camps or whatever. I got the call the night before. Hey, can you be down here? to play the, the next four days, guitar player bailed, whatever. So I'm listening to the music, driving down middle of the night with my wife. And uh, they do a bunch of cover songs. Like it was the big thing to do. Like every session started mm. with some kind of secular tune. And we did Devil Went Down to Georgia. He played on it, but I had to learn it um, from scratch in like <laughs> the ho the hotel room that morning with no sleep. Oh, that's that's a that's a that's a challenge, dude. Yeah, yeah. Bam, tick it down, tick it down, tick it down, tick it down. There's some involved stuff in that tune. God, it's fun though. It's a it's a fun song to play. Yeah, it is. Um, anyways, uh, you were saying before I interrupted you. No, no, no. It's cool, man. I didn't know that. I knew I knew about big stuff. I didn't realize you had played there. Yeah, that's a huge. Yeah, so I played with Ben Snyder before. Great dude. Yeah, so Ben was in Michael's band towards the end, and we were all kind of—it's a long story, but we were all kind of let go, and Michael, about six months later, ended up getting dropped from the, the label. But at that time, we were—we had just done a tour with um, Maroon 5. We did six weeks with Maroon 5 and Gavin DeGraw, and one of the last shows we played was the Roseland Ballroom in New York. And, uh, that, or yeah, that was one of the last shows we did, but Ben and I, you know, like everybody else, we kind of clicked and everything was cool. <clears throat> and then when, when the gig was over, he called me one day, said, Hey man, there's this church called North Point. Uh, and I'd never heard of it, even being in Atlanta since 96. And he's like, Hey man, uh, I think I got you hooked up for to come and play this inside out thing on a Sunday. You want to do it? I'm yeah. like, yeah. So that was like 2004. 
And then uh, one thing led to another on that end, and I ended up playing at North Point basically every Sunday for the next 10 years. And they opened up multi-campuses all over the town, so I was, like, bouncing around at different ones, you know, some more than others. Um, And, of course, during that time, I was doing other things. I'm still doing my crazy music and playing with other (laughs) people throughout the week and still managing to do tours at the same time in the week. And, you know, so – but that's how all that involved in the church world was through Ben Snyder, basically. So cool. So you got involved playing at church. So again, you're doing all kinds of stuff. And so church playing at a church is just one tenth of what you're doing musically throughout the week, it sounds like. It was. Um so Which leads me to not to interrupt you, but no, it does lead me to a point. Yeah. Uh for me, I was always i was i've been in bands obviously you mentioned the rocktronics uh, earlier uh, we yeah. put out a cd in 2014 i've been in different bands throughout my career but i've always been a side guy i mean outside of being a leader on my own music i've always been a side guy you know working for other people doing what they want playing the music they want the way they want it all that sort of thing being a team player um and so i've always worn a lot of different hats and been in a lot of different environments playing with a lot of different you know, things. So I guess what I'm trying to say is if if anyone's listening to this, if you're in a band, go for it hundred percent. But if, if you're a, a musician who just wants to make a career out of music, you have to realize if you're not in a band and you're especially not in a successful band, uh, by the time you're 30 years old, 25 years old, uh, I'll say 30, uh, you need to start branching out in order to be a working musician. You need to start wearing a lot of hats and you need a, a lot of opportunities and experiences to play with in different environments with as many people as you can, whether it's paid gig, free gig, uh, whatever it takes to meet and let people hear you and catch your vibe and just all those things wrapped into one. Because if I, if I were to hang my hat on any one thing, my career would have been over a long time ago, you know? So. Absolutely, man. God, that's huge. That's huge. And that's how, you know, mine has been, I just was in the bit, you know, I've, I've been in the business world and kind of music has been on the side for me for my whole career. You know, And dude, that's great. That's okay. Yeah, you yeah, know, that's, absolutely. It, there's a absolutely. place for that too, you know? Yep. Yep. And we talked, you know, we talked with a couple different folks on here about, you know, making money playing at churches and it's just mm-hmm. another way. And, 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 there's still and there's a lot of folks that move to Atlanta and don't realize that that's kind of a thing that that churches oh, pay players, but they do. Well, they um, do, and and just for people that may not live in Atlanta or may not know about Andy Stanley or may not be familiar in this whole environment that might be listening. I and 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 I didn't know this, and and it kind of evolved over the years. But North Point is one of the biggest churches in the world. And I'm not just saying that, you know, again, to hang my hat on. It's just the truth. I mean, it's I think they're yep. the last time I heard, but they have seven campuses. And between every week, there's 100,000 people that go in those doors. And then they have the online thing. And it, it literally rivals Joel Steen and a lot of other. Yeah, yeah. There's a, yeah, there's other similar churches in other cities. It's not just North Point, Atlanta, but it's huge. And, the, and then with the satellite campus, which is where you and I met at, That's at right. Southside, is is uh you know they they have these non-official campuses uh satellite campuses and and it's, it's kind of its, its own little thing but there's hundreds of those around yes. all over the the world now um that's unreal you man can, you can tune in and watch Andy live but you have a live band doing the music and um that's where we met so we were playing at one of the satellite campuses that's um, right 
Yes, sir. Yep. And, and it's amazing, man. I mean, when you really sit back and think about how, uh, and I know a little bit of the backstory on North Point, you know, and, and how yeah. they started in an abandoned supermarket. And there were like seven people there when they first started back in the early 90s yep. or whenever. And just to see what how they've run that business and how, I mean, I hate to say business as a church, I understand, but... It, it you know when you're dealing with 400 people on staff and health insurance, it's an organization. It's it's you know, a huge it's, operation, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, well, but I think because of that, outside of the message and and all the things that the church typically does, it it definitely it, it, there was a thing about I think just generally um, that is one of their attributes to success is they thrive on excellence. You know, whether it's, and they say it all the time, it's whether it's, you know, standing in the parking lot when you greet people walking in the door. But when you're in the the actual service and you hear the band and the music, there is a level of excellence that everybody brings to that. And, and and, And therefore... Again, it's not necessarily volunteers of the church. They are paying their musicians because they want to bring in a certain level of uh, every week consistency. You know. Yep. And the, and these are guys that there's there's rehearsals during the week. These are guys that make music, make money making music throughout the week, just like Joseph. We're talking that you're doing. Um, and and these bigger churches are recognizing that, and so they're they're getting guys that. On Monday, they're going to go somewhere else and make money playing music. It's just going to be a studio. Yeah. Or on Friday, they're going to make money at a club. Right. Or Saturday, and they're going to drive through the night, and they're going to play Sunday morning. They're going to get exposed to a great message. And, you know, uh, and, and so, of course, they're going to pay those guys because that's what they do for their job, just like they would pay the pastor for doing his job. Or, that's right. You know, so. but you know it's interesting though because a lot of the people that I worked with there over those years—not everybody—but there's a handful of people that it led to other things, led to recording CDs, led to studio projects, led to cover band gigs, led to, led to outside things that's that what, were away from the that, church, totally away from the church. You know, and that's what the, this entire first, at least first season of this podcast is guys that I knew. Um, in South Atlanta playing at these churches uh, that have all gone on to do these just big, badass things. And we're going to talk about that in your story here in a little bit. You know, obviously you've already done big, badass things. We didn't even talk <laughs> about that. You were on Crossroads uh, DVD. Um, yeah. Playing bass. So um, tons of cool stuff uh, that you're doing and, and you're playing at church, um, you know, very cool environment just all around Atlanta. It's a big kind of, you know, it's its own music scene. Hey, and thanks for listening to the Tour Bus Podcast, a platform built by working musicians and producers to help you get more auditions, more gigs, and more of what you want. I'm Jay, the Tour Bus Driver. If you like what you hear, you can do a couple things. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us online and like us wherever you do your social media. If you have any comments or questions, you can go to thetourbuspodcast.com slash tipjar and leave us a comment or question, or you can email tipjar at thetourbuspodcast.com. Theme music provided by The Rock Tron and at Philly Stacks.